are back. It's the Joe Holka Show presented by FanDuel. Awesome show today going game by game with Rich Rebar. Going to go through a lineup for both the Saturday and Sunday only main slates. A couple stacks that we really like along the way. And then we're going to go into our locks of the week with Jake Seeley. Of course, CJ Hernandez is going to stop by to talk through the top GPP plays. Again, Saturday only, Sunday only. We've got you covered. Let's jump right in. It's the Joe Holka Show presented by FanDuel. Wild card week, games of the week, DFS stacks and best bets. Going to go deep into some key situations that we have to get right in fantasy football, DFS, and betting. Excited to dive into these games. Obviously, FanDuel has split up their main slate into a Saturday-only and Sunday-only slate. So we're going to focus our stacks around that. Let's jump right into it. Game number one, 4.30 p.m. Eastern time. We have Raiders at Bengals. Cincinnati is a six and a half point home favorite in this one. And the over-under currently sits at 49 and a half per FanDuel Sportsbook. Not a ton of sharp action on either side, at least so far. But the under is getting a little bit of love, 88% of the money, despite just 16% of the overall betting tickets. When you saw that this was going to be the first game of Super Wild Card Weekend, Reeves, uh, what was your first indication here? Yeah, I mean, it reminds me of like when like the Bengals and Texans would play on Saturday for right, like, three years in a row. Uh, <laughs> so you know, you 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 give the number seven seed in the AFC, uh, you know, the, the number six seed, I should say, is in the AFC, the Raiders, because as the Pittsburgh backed in, mm-hmm. uh, you know, you give them that that first game Saturday afternoon. Are people at dinner? Are they you know coming home? Kind of like it feels like one of that. Like you know, how many people are really going to be glued to this? There'll be a lot of people watching it, obviously. But right. uh, these teams played earlier in the season, week eleven. It's actually five of the six games. This weekend are rematches uh which is pretty unique for an opening you know opening round uh the, the Bengals won 32 to 13 but the game was a lot closer than the final score you know indicated it was 16 to 13 with 11 minutes to go mm-hmm. before the Bengals kind of really pulled away there but uh it does set up well for the Bengals you know historically when you look at since 2008 teams that have lost by 17 or more points to a non-division opponent in the regular season and come back and play them in the postseason those teams uh, are three and fifteen over that span. They've had thirteen straight losses. Uh, they are a little bit better, eight and ten against the spread. So you might get a little bit of betting value on the Raiders, but historically this puts them in in kind of a bucket uh, that we would see them not win this game mm-hmm. outright. Uh, they and they're also you know one of the worst offenses in the NFL in in terms of postseason what's left. I mean they're they are the lowest team in the playoffs and third down conversion rate. They're the lowest team in red zone conversion rate over the back half of the season. Uh, they scored a touchdown per drive at a higher rate of only than the Panthers, the Texans, the Falcons, the Jaguars, and Giants. None of those teams are very good and still playing. Uh, so, yeah, it, it is. And also the Raiders are the most penalized team in the NFL. They lead the NFL in penalty yards per game. So uh, they have all these kind of red flags kind of going for them. But, you know, we, we, we the Bengals are a young team. They, they exceeded, I think, expectations that they were expected for them this season. Uh, you know, maybe that all those things play into a factor and they allow maybe kind of a, a backdoor and the Raiders to hang around. But I mean, a, a lot on paper here, a lot does favor the Bengals. Yeah. Just to look at like the DFS side of this uh, after running the Sims, the Cincinnati and Raiders game does kind of dominate the Sims right now. Joe Mixon is yeah. in 71% of the optimal rates, obviously gets a two game slate. So those are always going to be inflated a little bit. Uh, so he looks like one of the best options on this entire slate. And then Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro right behind him. Uh, so before we get to like anything, thing in the second game on the slate uh Devin Singletary all the way at number five and then uh Stefan Diggs at number eight in the sim so it does seem to kind of be dominated by some of the skill position players in this game uh starting on the Raiders side though Reeves do you think that the return of Darren Waller is going to most impact Renfro I like can we take some bullets on some of these other guys on the Raiders offense uh like how does the the Darren Waller effect I guess uh, shape this slate for you 
Yeah, I mean, it, Darren Waller had a season-high 116 yards when these teams played earlier in the season. The Bengals are more of a defense that they funnel things to the middle of the field. They're good on the boundaries, and they're good over the top. But, uh, you know, tight ends and running backs, especially out of the backfield, have given them a lot of trouble this season. Uh, against tight ends, they're 26th in catch rate allowed. They're 27th in yards allowed per target. They're 22nd in touchdown rate uh, allowed to those tight ends. So it does set up. And, and Waller came back with no like limitations. He ran a pass around on 92.5% of the team dropbacks. The, we didn't get the bottom line. He only had the two catchers of 22 yards, but he had nine targets and was a full-time player. That's really all we care about, right? Yeah. Uh, and, and his price is really good on FanDuel um, mm. in this slate. We, we've got a really good tight end slate for Wild Card Weekend. We Basically, go. all the good fantasy tight ends except for Mark Andrews are playing this weekend. Yeah. Uh, so he, he he I think he will be one of the more popular guys given his price uh, because people won't be able to kind of differentiate at the top and they'll just say, all right, well, good matchup. You know, we'll we'll take the the price bump. Uh, you know, the price discount on Waller and kind of you know go there. It, it's tough to see the signal of who he impacts target wise because Hunter Renfro is already losing targets to Zay Jones for some reason. Yeah. Uh, you, you know, you look at Hunter Renfro, he's actually kind of gone against his archetype. He's been more of a touchdown dependent player. Uh, you know, he, he's had uh, four fewer catches in three of the final four games, or just 161 total receiving yards. We've seen Zay Jones get eight or more targets in all those games. He's not doing anything with them. He's had more than 50 yards in just two of those games. But, you know, it's just targets that are going away, you know, from Renfro, but making him a little bit more touchdown dependent. Uh, you know, he did have just the 30 yards when these teams played earlier in the season with Waller on the field. Uh, but like I said, you know, the Bengals do offer a little bit of maybe a, I don't want to call it outright matchup appeal because they're not bottom of the league, but they are 23rd in points allowed per game to opposing slot receivers. Uh, so we could get a little bit of bite in the apple there. But, you know, you look at Renfro, uh, you know, I don't know if there's like a, like a super high ceiling for his price where mm-hmm. it is because because remember, this is the full season kind of context body of work that Renfro has built into his pricing now. And uh, I don't know if, you know, you were looking at like a 20 plus point game out of him. Sure. Yeah, I think that's kind of like his price kind of makes me nervous at 7,300, even though he is kind of uh, performing really well in the Sims. Uh, I guess both the running backs are somewhat interesting. Very small slate, of course. Uh, Mixon looks like one of the best plays, but Josh Jacobs at 7,200 is popping in the Sims so far as well. So any, any takes, I guess, in the running game on both sides of this game? Yeah, I mean, I think this really does set up to be a Joe Mixon game. And you've got one, uh, you know, a home favorite, decent team total those are spots we always look at also i do think that the rate the way the raiders play defense will invite zach taylor to be a little more passive in terms of play calling you know a lot of people have talked about the light coming on for zach taylor uh the last two games that joe burrow played and being aggressive but remember they played aggressive defenses in those two games Mm -hmm. uh you know we've been i've talked about joe burrow's like splits versus the blitz at nauseam this season uh and those two teams the ravens and the chiefs uh when he threw for almost a thousand yards he threw for 970 yards in those two games didn't get the memo they blitz they blitz joe burrow on 35 percent of his dropbacks right. after he was blitzed just 16 percent of the time uh over the previous seven games is the lowest rate in the nfl the raiders blitz at the league's lowest rate 12 percent of dropbacks they only blitzed burrow on three of 35 dropbacks when these teams played in week 11 they they're going to drop back play shell coverage if you look at the raiders look at all the peripherals they give a high completion rate low yards for pass attempt that's what we saw from Burrow in that game when they played earlier in the year. I think it's really just going to invite Zach Taylor to be a little more passive. And the Raiders have really struggled to defend running backs anyways uh, in totality. They're 30th in touchdowns on the running backs. They're 
28th in receiving points allowed to running backs. They're 25th in rushing points allowed to running backs, uh, including Mixon himself. The only thing with Mixon that's just a little more volatile is like we see his passing game usage just come and go, right? Like mm-hmm. it's, he'll, he'll have a couple, you know, five target games, then he'll go like three games without a target. Right. Uh, we, we do want that to be a little sticky. He wasn't targeted in these teams played early in the year, but we know it exists. There's just, I've really tried to dig in the hood, the rhyme or reason of when and when he doesn't get targeted, but there's just really nothing there. It's just hyper variant. Um, and like I touched on in the Bengals too, they, they do give up a lot of receiving production to running backs. And when these teams did play early in their season, Josh Jacobs did have seven targets. They don't give up a lot rushing. And my, the, the big hang up with Josh Jacobs is we can count on the targets. And, you know, I think there's a little, uh, Probably his player prop for receiving yards ends up being a pretty decent play. But look at his like yards perception, what he's doing with these catches. Not very much, man. Right. Uh, so so <laughs> it, it's just you're not getting a lot of juice like uh, in terms of upside. So I do th- wish he was like a little bit cheaper. But, you know, if you get a pass interference in the end zone or the Raiders, someone gets tackled at the one like we know who's getting that carry. Yeah. Uh, and Josh Jacobs is getting a high workload. 19.7 touches per game over the past 10 games he's played. Uh, so by default, just byproduct of like him being kind of the workhorse back in the touches there, if you don't really love the price for him being a road dog on a short slate, there's definitely an avenue for him to score points. Yeah, I think the last thing to talk about with this game, and obviously this game has a little bit more appeal than the second game on the Saturday slate, uh, at least the Sims are telling us that right now, is uh, T. Higgins at 6,900 is kind of interesting when you look at Jamar Chase all the way up at 8,200. And then if you really wanted to pay down at tight end, we still have C.J. Uzoma right there as well. So what are your, I guess, overall thoughts about the passing game on the Cincinnati side? Yeah, this is very intriguing because if it, you know if the Bengals do want to come out and play aggressive, uh, we know they have the weaponry to play well. Uh, what's interesting is the way, like we said, structurally the Raiders play defense definitely does limit to where like Jamar Chase does like all his damage. Mm-hmm. He was second in the NFL in fantasy points created on targets 15 yards or further downfield. Only Tyler Lockett scored more. He scored eight of his touchdowns on those targets, which by far led the NFL more than double the next highest player the Raiders are third in the NFL in completion rate allowed on those throws uh they also are sixth in the NFL in yards per target and touchdown rate allowed to opposing wide receivers in general when you look at the type of defense they play the the Raiders they play cover three on 67 percent of their defensive snaps the next highest team is at 43.8 percent uh you know T Higgins does lead the team in targets against cover three now this didn't help him at all week 11 uh when he had just two catches so I mean keep that you know mine is a grain grain of salt as well I do think structurally the way the Raiders play defense does signal maybe like a higher target game for Tyler Boyd than we typically see he did have eight targets from these teams played earlier again not what kind of ceiling are you buying on but I do think that the way the quick game sets up the heavy zone coverage they play uh, does set up for Tyler Boyd that you have more of kind of his thumbprint on the game whether we get a lot of fantasy points with it or not I remains to be seen but I do think that he is a really solid bet to kind of you know push like you know those those eight to ten targets uh which is probably more of a ceiling cap. And you you talked about Uzoma too a little bit. Uh, Uzoma, he does have a little target bump to, to end the season. 15% or more of the team targets in each of the past five games. Not getting a lot of production still, 162 yards over that span. But, uh, you know, on a short slate, any tight end getting targets and is on the field a lot is in play as a punt play. Yeah. So, and then the Raiders did allow 10 touchdowns to opposing tight ends this season. So, you know, hey, it's that kind of slate, right? It's almost like Thanksgiving. 
Yeah, you're going to need to find value somewhere, whether it's Uzoma, whether you do want to take a chance on someone like Zay Jones. Uh, it does help out your roster construction quite a bit. We'll build a lineup for this slate uh, after we get to the night game. So let's move on to Patriots at Bills. Buffalo is currently a four and a half point home favorite, and the Sharps are on board with that one. Reeves per FanDuel Sportsbook, 89% of the money, despite just 51% of the betting tickets. The over-under currently set at 43 and a half, the lowest of wild card weekend obviously a little bit of weather in this game as well reeb so yes we do say on some of these smaller slates that it's nice to have that flexibility for late swap but there's really not a lot to like in this game at least on first glance do you have any other opinions on the i guess your first instinct on this one yeah it is tough if you're doing the two gamer to really kind of be drawn to this i think we'll see josh allen still be relatively popular because of what he offers with his legs and the bills have really kind of swerved into using the rpo run game with josh allen as part of incorporating remember the whole front half of the year, people are talking about the Bills can't run, the Bills can't run, all these things are happening. And the the Bills have started to use Josh Allen and Devin Singletary in this RPO run game as like a way to counterbalance the, mm-hmm. the offense, the aggressive nature. And Josh Allen himself hasn't really played well as a passer over the back half of the season. I mean, he's thrown for seven yards for pass attempt in just two of his past ten games. But what he offers with his legs and in terms of the amount of passing volume the Bills still have and the touchdown equity he has still gives him so much fantasy upside. Uh, you know, he did. He just ran it back as the QB one in fantasy points per game uh, for the first time since, uh, you know, Dante Culpepper in 2003 and 2004. Uh, you know, we have seen him not really play well in cold weather. It's a very small sample. Uh, so definitely a grain of salt there. I mean, this year, uh, that game against the Falcons in week 17 was the coldest weather game he's played in his career. It was, only, it was 26 degrees. That's about 26 degrees higher than what they're projecting, uh, you know, for Saturday night. Uh, he's played four career games below freezing, and in those games, he's done for 193 yards or fewer, uh, and with just 55% uh, completion rate. Uh, three bad weather games this season for him the Colts game in the rain at home, the wind game obviously remembers that, and then the Falcons game, not good in any of those games either. But in the Falcons game, you saw there's still fantasy upside there because he has so much touchdown equity. Uh, so I do think he still will be relatively popular. It's hard to get there on a lot of other players here. It's, we've got to really squint to see it. Um, a big part is because the Bills defense has just been so good this season. Right. I mean, they allowed 12 touchdown passes. That's the fewest that any NFL team has allowed since 2011. It's That's the fewest wild. the Bills have allowed in a season since 1999. Uh, they have a really great and deep uh, defensive line rotation. They don't blitz a lot. They rely on home getting on four, uh, four-man pass rush. Teams that pressure the quarterback have just been a real thorn for Mac Jones the entire season. He's had seven games against teams in the top 10 in pressure rate uh, this year. And in those games, he's averaged 9.1 fantasy points per game. Those teams have pressured him on 33% of his dropbacks in those games with him having a 48% completion rate and 5.3 yards per attempt under pressure in those games. The Bills lead the NFL in pressure rate. Uh, you know, we saw that in the second game. If, if the Bills stake to a lead here and force the Patriots to throw, that plays into kind of how the Bills want this game to go and not how the Patriots want to go and really puts kind of Mac Jones in a little bit of a bind. Um, it looks like Emmanuel Sanders is going to play, uh, which kind of throws a wrench in like the really cheap Gabe Davis. Now, mm-hmm. it, you know, Gabe Davis could still be a guy that has a red zone presence. We just don't know where uh, typically like the snap allotment is going to fall with Manuel Sanders coming back, right? Because, yep. you know, you look at the games without Emmanuel Sanders, 90%, 87%, 91% of the snaps. You know, yep. if he's just going to be a touchdown or bus guy, we can still chase that. But, you know, we would optimally still like to have our cake and eat it too uh, with him getting, you know, being on the field as much as possible. We don't really know where that's going to lie. Cole Beasley's kind of been a non-entity all season, although we did see the last time that the Bills and Patriots played they really hyper involved Isaiah McKenzie into that game and if 
and if Beasley can accrue some of those slot targets, maybe that's a way they try to attack uh, the Patriots. Uh, but, you know, it depends. But as modern man coverage, the Patriots play, when these two teams played in the regular season, the Patriots ran man 42% of the time. In the first matchup, that was the third highest mark uh, of any team that week. And then they ran man 41% of the time in the rematch, which was fourth highest in the league. Debt, you, we've talked about Stephon Diggs versus man coverage. His mm-hmm. target rate versus man coverage is 30%. His target rate per route run against man coverage is 27%. Those marks go to 25% and 23% against zone coverage uh, on the team. So, I mean, you know, that's why we see him have these high target games. We haven't had the big boom weeks from Stephon Diggs, but we've seen him get anchored by his touchdown ability. 22 end zone targets led the NFL this year, uh, and it really kind of saved, uh, you know, some of those weeks where, because we're not getting like the high yardage game. We're getting like the seven for 85. Right. right? Like it's a lot of those. Uh, And that's probably what we're living like too this weekend, especially if we get some of the weather, you know, kind of impacting this game. It's hard from like a price perspective to get to digs, like, because the ceiling is just so much lower if you're just like comparing him straight up to like someone like Joe Mixon, even Jamar Chase. Like, uh, I don't know. Like, so that's tough. Also, like, even just looking at the Sims, like Devin Singletary is uh, the highest guy on this team by a decent margin. But Singletary, if you just look into it this year, like his correlation with Diggs, with Josh Allen, is not very good, right? In these games where Singletary has gone off, I mean, it makes perfect sense. It means that probably Josh Allen doesn't get in the box with his legs or we don't have, like, that big explosion for Stephon Diggs. So I struggle a little bit because I think there's so many different ways that this Buffalo Buffalo defense or offense can go that it's really hard. Uh, I guess on the Patriots side of this, there's really not a lot here uh, that the Sims like, at least. We have Damian Harris, he's 7,535% of the optimal rate. And then it's kind of a mixture of a bunch of different guys. So what do you make of, I guess, the New England side of the ball? Do you kind of want to, I guess, there's some contrarian appeal here, maybe with the running backs, but it seems like kind of a mess. Yeah, and you're not going to sneak Damian Harris through. Like right. He's going to be the most popular guy on the on the Patriots roster. He went over 100 yards both games against the Bills, and he had four total touchdowns. Like mm-hmm. That's not sneaking through. And we know inherently how the Patriots want this game to go. They want to be able to kind of stay in arm's length of the Bills and be able to kind of not really force Mac Jones to have to win this game on his own, especially with the Bills' pass defense, you know, being as good as it's been all year. So we do know they want to run the football, and we do know if the signal is, you know, Damian Harris. The problem with Damian Harris is he's so touchdown, you know, heavy. I mean, this is a guy that had 18 catches all year. Mm -hmm. Uh, Now, he did score a touchdown in 10 of his 11 games. So if you're going to be a touchdown-dependent running back, he's one of the better ones to chase. But, you know, he can also be a guy that what if if he doesn't get you a touchdown, like you're getting like 80 hollow yards. Yeah. Like you're like, oh, I'm going to get 80 to 100. Even he has 100, see, he has 110 rushing yards. So no catches and no touchdowns at his price. It's still tough. But Mm -hmm. uh, he will be the most popular guy. Maybe you you just play game script and you go contrarian and you want to get out of Ramondre Stevenson. You can't even play the game script card, though, for the Bills' favor because the Bills were also number one in the NFL in receiving points on the running backs. And we saw that play out for Brandon Bolden the second game these two teams played. He still wasn't involved. Didn't catch Mm -hmm. any passes. So really, really hard. Uh, Even guys like Hunter Henry, Jacoby Myers, like really hard to draw like an objective, like firm stance to say like these guys are offer a lot of fantasy upside you're really just hoping you nail the touchdown yeah so like someone even like nelson Aguilar, like you're hoping that you get like maybe like one big play and he ends up being like that really right. cheap guy that differentiates you a little bit like that's kind of how i'm looking at this uh side of the ball at least but before we build a lineup and uh, move on to the sunday slate get a buggy guys one last time to subscribe to the second youtube channel we are over a thousand uh we did give away that justin herbert rookie card last week so appreciate everyone that contributed to that make sure you hit that notification bell over there like you have on 
the main channel. Reebs, uh, you ready to build a, a lineup for the two-game slate, man? It's uh, it's exciting stuff. It's not easy. We're probably going to onslaught something, uh, but this will this will be fun. This will go in the the listener league for Saturday. Uh, is there a direction that you want to take us first? I mean, I mean, I I I I like the idea of maybe playing Josh Allen still, but mm-hmm. uh, I haven't looked at really dug in on like projected ownership because I feel like a lot of people are gonna look at the get caught up in the weather element, yep. and maybe come up off Allen and then go to Burrow. So mm-hmm. I like the idea of either playing Josh Allen or Carr. I yep. don't know what kind of lineup we can kind of build around either guy. Do you prefer either one of those guys? Man, like normally I am like team wait until the second game so that you can kind of adjust your stack from there based on how like things go in the first game. It's just really hard to get on board with that New England and Buffalo game. I, I don't mind Carr, especially because I think that this game is going to skew uh, pretty pass heavy if they're going to be successful. Um, so let's go with Carr because 6,800 gives us a lot of flexibility and then we can uh, we can either jam in Darren Waller, we can put in uh, like a Zay Jones, something like that. If we're going to stack up Carr with at least two weapons, uh, I'll leave that part of it up to you. Yeah, I mean, we would have to go Darren Waller for sure. Mm-hmm. And then it's just a debate on do you want to go, uh, you know, add Renfro, Renfro, to, it, yep. add Renfro to it as well. Um, and hope we get just all the touchdown equity. Yeah. Even if they even if they somehow only score two, we get both of them. Let's go Renfro on that. And uh, we could just bring it back with Mixon and just hope oh, yeah, that easy. he takes all the yeah. touchdowns. So I don't easily, mind that. Easily bring it back with Mixon. Yeah. So I think from a defense perspective, then we're kind of deciding between one of these two in the second game, New England or Buffalo. I mean, plug the bills in and see if we need to go down. Okay. Cool. So right now, as of now, we have Carr, Renfro, Waller with Mixon coming back. We have Bill's defense. We have 6,600 the rest of the way to fill this thing out. So on the the wide receiver side of things, we could punt it off with someone like Nelson Aguilar. We could uh, we could just put Singletary in there since we're not going to have Josh Allen. I think that makes a certain amount of sense. So I'll go Singletary first because that's still going to give us a lot okay. of yeah, flexibility. And uh, so 6,500, couple wide receivers and a flex. Anyone else you want to jam in here? Uh, I mean, we, so it just depends on, I mean, I don't think we want to go full Josh Jacobs here because that'd be where we'd be literally banking on the Raiders sure. trying to score 30 points, uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> which is probably not in the, and we have to have the money where at least we can just swing on chase, I guess. Right. We can. Yeah. I don't mind um, that. I like you know, chase actually with Mixon specifically, right? Cause chase can just get there on some big plays, play. even if, even yeah, if Mixon scores the touchdowns. One play and then, yeah. That leaves us one spot left. We have one spot left. So we have two left, 5,700. So we need a wide receiver and a flex. So we're looking at like a couple of these punts that we talked about, right? We could end up, we could put in someone. Um, I mean, we could just add Zay Jones to this, or we could go like a, an Aguilar or something like that. We could go like a Ramondre Stevenson as well, 5,200. You just hope that he gets in the box, something like that. But yeah, we need a cheaper guy now. Yeah, I'm debating. Do we do we add Tyler Boyd to this? Is he too expensive? Six K. If we go that, we can 5,500. So then we're basically looking at Cole Beasley, Emmanuel Sanders, Zay Jones, Gabriel Davis. We can still play basically whoever we want in in that range. And then I think we can get to obviously not Damian Harris, but yeah, still have enough uh, for Ramondre Stevenson as well in the flex. So we can get any of those guys? Any of them. Yeah. Going down to car helps a lot, man. You can still build out like a pretty balanced team when you go the car direction, which I don't hate. Yes, yeah, so, I mean, yeah, we can throw any of those. I would say definitely throw a Patriot in here. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I guess throw Armandri in here, and then if you need to pivot, you know, you can do a number of things here. But that's pretty much along the lines of something like to be a little bit different instead of building a Josh Allen team, which, you know, a lot of people will do, 
and then building a borough team. So at least we offer something different for people to look at. All right, we got to move on to the Sunday slate. 1 p.m. start Eagles at Bucks. Tampa Bay is currently an eight and a half point home favorite in this one, but the Sharps believe that's gone a little bit too far as we've seen some large bets coming in on Philly early in the week, but there's definitely a little bit of shootout potential here. I think despite that 49 point over under per FanDuel Sportsbook, the over represents over 90% of the overall action so far. But Reeves, when you looked at this one being game number one of that second main slate of the weekend, what were your initial thoughts? Yeah, and this is another weather watch game. I mean, they're, you know, today they just popped up and said they're expecting like a monsoon and like all this kind of rain and wind. So you're going to have to watch that coming into Sunday morning. Um, I also don't think that that really impacts a lot of what I believe will happen in this game anyways. Uh, you know, I believe that this game definitely objectively sets up for like a death by a thousand paper cuts Brady game. Like yep. you look at the you look at the Eagles, uh, they are the, the worst team in the NFL playoffs. They're 30th in the NFL, the lowest team in the playoffs in terms of sacks plus turnovers force per game, 2.7. The Bucks are number one in that category offensively, just two and a half sacks plus turnovers allowed. The Eagles blitz at the second lowest rate in the NFL. Only the Raiders blitz less. They play zone coverage, uh, you know. 71% of the time, which is ninth in the NFL. Uh, they face the league's lowest depth of target. And when Tom Brady played these teams earlier in the season, he had his lowest depth of target in the season. I just really think Brady's going to just bring out the BB gun, man. Gronk, Leonard Fournette, just, mm -hmm. just pepper high efficient targets. And especially if the weather is like that too, it just swerves into that, I think, even more. Uh, so I think that's going to be kind of like the game plan for the Bucks, And then, you know, obviously we'll just have to follow the end of the week health of Leonard Fournette and see how healthy he is uh, coming off of IR with the hamstring injury, see if he's 100% because this would be a great spot for Leonard Fournette. He's a yeah. great value on FanDuel specifically. I mean, he, his 10 games prior to injury, 19.7 touches per game, 103 yards per game. He was averaging five catches per game. And he was second in the NFL still even missing those last three games. Uh, in opportunities inside the 10-yard line. So mm -hmm. high leverage touches is what we love. Uh, he had 28 touches for 127 yards and two touchdowns against the Eagles in week six. The Eagles are 21st in rushing points allowed to running backs. They're 26th in receiving points allowed to running backs. Like I said, they play just zone. They want you to feed stuff to the tight ends, feed mm -hmm. stuff to the running backs. Um, so I think it sets up really well for Fournette. Also, when you pair the amount of injuries the Bucks have had at the wide receiver position, coming uh, down the down the stretch here you know now Sile Grayson's the latest guy you know there's a great story we had a Sile Grayson he looks doubtful with his hamstrings so now they're down to Mike Evans and then Brashad Perryman Tyler Johnson Scotty Miller John but Brown also, they signed John Brown today too which is kind ooh, of interesting baby. yeah we'll see that's hot it's hot Harmon's excited when you pair right? that with the Eagles defense I mean you look at this we don't really get into the weeds on wide receiver cornerback matchups a lot uh because they're definitely overplayed but i will say this look at the eagles like success versus wide receiver ones this season they allowed 11.2 points per game to opposing wide receiver ones it was the third fewest in the nfl only tyreek hill and debo samuel had more than 79 yards receiving against them as wide receiver ones and tyreek hill scored three of the four touchdowns they allowed uh when these teams played early in the season darius slay did shadow mike evans mike evans is one of these wide receivers we've seen be susceptible to like physical one-on-one -on -one yep. cornerback play. Trayvon Diggs shattered him earlier this season. Darius Slay and Marshawn Lattimore both times. Those are all like low yardage games. With Mike Evans, I think you're really just counting on touchdown equity, right? We know that he can catch a touchdown on anybody. But I don't know if this is a big signal for Mike Evans to have a huge touch, uh, huge yardage and reception type game uh, because of this one, the style of defense the Eagles play. They allow the lowest rate of 20-yard completions in the NFL. They can throw Slay on him because now you have no Antonio Brown. You have no Chris Godwin. 
Uh, you're not really worried about some of the other pieces. So I think it's a big Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski game. Uh, we saw Gronk finish the year with 200 yard games. Uh, tight ends have scored 24.2% of the points allowed by the Eagles. It's the highest share uh, in the league uh, allowed to tight ends. Uh, tight ends have caught 78% of their targets against the Eagles. Uh, when these teams played earlier in the season, uh, Tampa Bay tight ends, because Gronk didn't play, caught 9 of 11 targets for 75 yards and a touchdown. Even a guy like Cameron Brake could be like a Hail Mary dart play or if you're just hoping to get a touchdown. Uh, but it is a loaded tight end slate if you need to get that cute. But uh, I do think it's a big Gronk and Fournette game. Man, you are right there with the Sims right now. If we were to simulate this slate 10,000 times, Leonard Fournette, the number one player in the Sims, which is 7,300, 66% optimal rate, and the next highest guy in this game is Rob Gronkowski at 7,400, 32%. And you also hit maybe the nail on the head as well with Mike Evans maybe just being a little bit too expensive, right? You have to scroll down. He's outside the top 15 on this slate at 8,200, just 20% of the optimal lineups do have Mike Evans in them. So definitely kind of an interesting way to start out this slate. Is there anyone on the Eagles that kind of uh, piques your interest? Like, I, I think there's still probably an argument for someone like Jalen Hurts, of course, but I don't see a lot of guys from Philly in the Sims right now either. Yeah, I think there's a way for upside. I mean, obviously the toughest thing to diagnose is their backfield. But yeah. uh, I do think Jalen Hurts obviously offers a little bit. In the, because you got uh, a mobile quarterback on like maybe like a jailbreak game scenario, right? Like mm -hmm. say this game does go south and the Bucks do are up early and they push the Eagles out of the run game. You you just have Hurts in like a high drop back game, which his mm -hmm. archetype can always lead to 30 fantasy points, right? If you get it. Uh, it's not a good matchup for him, though, as a passer. I mean, obviously the Bucks, we know they put a lot of pressure on the quarterbacks. They pressured Jalen Hurts on 55% of his dropbacks when these teams played earlier in the season. I don't think the Eagles want him dropping back a ton in this game. They want to be able to kind of keep this game, like we talk about the Patriots, in, within arm's length, right? Just keep mm -hmm. it close. Hope to have, you know, a fluky play, a turnover, something that breaks your way. Stay, don't turn the ball over yourself. Um, and, and I think that uh, also, you know, maybe Dallas Goddard looks a little bit appealing too, especially at his price. Very cheap. You can't get up to some of these guys. You know, 59 is pretty good. He, uh, you know, he, he set a career high with uh, 14.8 yards per catch this season, so he has some big playability. Uh, since the Zach Ertz trade, he has 24% of the team targets in his games played. Uh, he did finish the year pretty strong. Obviously, you know, we know inherently with this Eagles passing offense, a low floor can always come. Like we've seen, he drops the two for 28 against the Giants, but, you know, though that orbits a seven for 135, a six for 71, a six for 105 too. Tampa Bay, also a little bit vulnerable to tight ends this season. They allowed, uh, they were 25th in the NFL in catches, allowed the tight ends, 21st in catch rate. Uh, a lot of the position. So uh, Goddard, I think at his price does represent a little bit of value. Um, and if you just get all the dropbacks, maybe you can, you can squeeze Devontae Smith in here, but I don't objectively find a lot of things on paper that say like he's a strong play. Yeah. There's like so many good tight ends on the slate that I think some people will kind of skip right over Dallas Goddard, even though at 5,900, he's easily one of the best point per dollar guys. And you got to skip over Gronk to get there. So yeah, I, I don't think that he's going to be as popular as maybe he should be. So that that's kind of all I have from this first game. So let's uh, let's move to 49ers and Cowboys at 4.30 on Sunday. The Cowboys are three-point home favorites in this one per FanDuel Sportsbook, but it looks like the early sharp action does favor San Francisco, believe it or not, on the road. The over-under is at 50.5, which ties uh, the Cardinals and Rams as the highest of all of Wild Card Weekend. And we could see that number get pushed even higher as the week goes on, just kind of looking at the structure of some of this early action. So this is one that, again, we were talking about Hurts, but you really don't have to pay a whole lot more to get up to like Dak Prescott in this spot. So I think I prefer 
Dak over Hertz. And, and this game definitely has piqued my interest a lot. What do you think about it, Reeves? Yeah, I mean, this is the one game on, uh, you know, until you get to Monday night that is not played outdoors. Mm -hmm. It's the only indoor game. So we love that. Uh, we also have, you know, two teams that could be high scoring here. I mean, it's the number one offense in the 49ers and the number three offense in the Cowboys in yards per play. Mm -hmm. uh, another interesting element here that I've talked about a couple of times on some shows, if you're betting the over or into the over, it's already gotten bet up a little bit. So you're already going to get the worst number of it is that these teams are actually 30th and 31st in penalty yards per game, too. Those yes. always help our overs out mm -hmm. uh as well but i'm very interested in this game for a number of reasons one i definitely think let's start with the dallas side first okay. uh dallas uh, in particular we've seen them definitely give us a few hiccup spots during the course of the season and we know that uh you know when we get the ceiling it's great and there's also been a low floor here but uh this sets up for a dak prescott win game like they're gonna have to win this game through the air 49ers are number two uh, against the run in DVOA has not been a, an effective runner. I mean, you look at even the way they closed the season, they're trying to get Zeke a thousand yards and get him the hell out of the game on Saturday night last week. And it takes 18 carries to get him that. there. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, they're just trying to get him that arbitrary thousand yard number. And yeah, it, it took 18 carries. It was, it's the most yards he's had in the game since week six. Uh, I don't think we'll see that against the 49ers. Uh, you and I talked about last week about being off kind of the, both of the running backs of Sony Michelle and Elijah Mitchell in that game last week, because how good both those run defenses were. And that held true. I definitely don't think this is a game to really get cute with Zeke. The only way you're playing Zeke is just for the touchdown equity. Mm -hmm. Like that's what you're hoping. He's a team high 21 touches inside the 10 uh, that has resulted in 10 of his touchdowns. That's like the one thing Zeke's hanging on to. He's playing a ton of snaps. And when they get into the green zone, he's the guy getting the ball. Uh, he's but way in, too in terms expensive. Of like yardage, he's, yeah, he's the second highest like guy in this slate. He's way too expensive. 7,700. So I'm with you. Yeah. The, but the yardage and the efficiency against this 49ers defense, we can't count on any of that mm -hmm. here. Like you're literally hoping for touchdowns. And you said at his price, you might need multiple touchdowns. Yeah. Uh, I mean, so I definitely believe this sets up to be a DAC, a DAC, you know, win through the air game. I mean, the 49ers are, are, are middle of the pack in basically all areas like against the pass. Uh, you know, they're 15th in yards for pass attempt, 29th in completion rate, 16th in touchdown rate. Uh, so they're so good against the run. So we're going to have to rely on this passing game. The interesting thing, though, is like, who are we stacking Dak with? Because these receivers have been a little bit all over the place. Amari, three weeks ago, came out and complained about not getting enough targets. And now he's gotten targets, mm -hmm. seven or more targets in each of the past three games. But now, as a byproduct, CeeDee Lamb has 11 total targets his final three games. Not like, great. Yeah, that's not very good. <laughs> we don't we don't want that. He's playing a ton. Uh, I would say that you know, like you know, especially Lamb at his price, like he he should be cheaper based on what we had for the finish of the season. Um, but we know that he still represents upside if we can get it. He hasn't scored a touchdown since week ten. Uh, he had just one wide receiver two or scoring week better uh, in the seven games uh, the regular season. So. He should be a little cheaper, but obviously he's priced up for a reason. The game looks hot on paper. Uh, 49ers are more of a pass funnel, so I get it. Um, and then you also have Cedric Wilson, who's running a route and now 71% of the team dropbacks when games where Michael Gallup doesn't play. Mm -hmm. They've shown that they've, they'll scheme stuff for him, too. Uh, we've seen in the red zone, especially he's got three touchdowns the past two games. And although Dalton Schultz's snaps uh, and his routes for dropback did drop the final week of the season with Blake Jarwin coming back. We did see still the two touchdowns. He, he matched Amari Cooper for the team leading touchdowns. He's still a focal point in the red zone for the Cowboys. But it is definitely very hard to diagnose like optimal plays of like who do you want to play or pair Dak with uh, because it's very scattershot. Yeah, just looking at the Sims right now, there is like a really nice cluster of Dallas players like right outside the top five. C.D. Lamb and Cedric Wilson are the top options along with Dak, who I think I would agree with. Cedric Wilson feels way too cheap. 
at 6k uh zeke like we said i think he's a little bit overpriced amari is way down here even though he's seen that volume uptick like the i guess the reality is with both cd and amari is that you really don't have to pay up that much more to get to tyree kill at 8k right so i think that's like the big uh i guess differentiator of these stacks overall uh the 49ers side of this one reeves debo samuel is the number two player in the sims even at 8700 so let's talk about debo and the san francisco side a little bit i i feel like the football gods are just trying to nudge me into giving me more chances to play debo because i've ignored right. him so much this Same. season and and he just keeps going off yep. uh you know if it wasn't for cooper cup basically pressing every receiving record i think debo would have a legit claim towards offensive player of the year uh, i mean he he ended up fifth in the nfl in receiving yards and he was 43rd in the, in the league in routes run. That's so uh, rough. Because I've like barely played Debo this entire year. I've been right there. I know. With I you. always look at his price and I look at his usage and I just never get there. And he keeps burying me every time. Uh, eight, eight rushing touchdowns, 365 rushing yards. We see he threw a touchdown last week too. Uh, you know, for the hell of it, to just add one more thing, he plays all over the field. Definitely feels like he's he's in a really good spot again against this Dallas defense. I and mean, we've seen Dallas really struggle to one defend the run and the 49ers in this particular just you know let's not from a fantasy stance let's look at this from a matchup stance what dallas does defensively is they want to play cover one they play cover one more than any team in the nfl because they're just structurally built they've got all this speed defensively you've got micah parsons you've got uh, demarcus lawrence you've got randy gregory they want to pin their ears back ears back and play downhill football it's the strength of all those players they're heat seeking missiles the 49ers have an offense completely built to negate that everything's misdirection mm-hmm. everything's powerful they're going to slow down all the speed and these edge rushers uh with this and so i think debo and elijah mitchell like look really good if the cowboys do get ahead i will say this there's an interesting element here so the cowboys play two primary base defenses cover one more than any team in the league like i said because they want those 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 missiles to get off and fire on the football and then as a as a default they go when they play zone they play cover three uh 33 percent of their snaps so they live they live in those two formations almost at 70 percent of their snaps here's an interesting wrinkle here the 49ers have faced cover three more than any team in the nfl outside of uh the chicago bears and um against cover three jimmy garoppolo Leads the NFL, 76% completion rate. He's sixth in the NFL with 102.3 quarterback rating. Wow. Against cover one, though, the other base defense for the Cowboys, much different story. 57% completion rate, 18th in the NFL. 89.8 quarterback rating, it's 14th in the NFL. So night and day. So how can the Cowboys press the 49ers here? If the Cowboys are forced to slow down and the 49ers are able to run the football and put them more in a situation where the Cowboys say, hey, there's no point of us to be playing cover one and trying to fire guys off the football let's ease off and it might play into the hands of making it just a sub sub uh, optimal not a suboptimal an optimal conditions for the 49ers offense and even their passing game hmm. by by doing that so i mean a lot of interesting wrinkles here and components if they do end up having to play from behind uh and it, uh, a guy that's really cheap brandon Ayuk, uh, actually leads the 49ers in routes run targets and receptions against cover one if the cowboys do pull ahead so maybe as a cheapy He's a guy, and he still continues to get there. He hasn't had the high ceiling weeks, but 22% of the team targets over the final 10 weeks, top 30 score, seven of his final 10 weeks. Uh, and then we also have another really good player the 49ers have, uh, George Kittle. Uh, you know, Thanks seems to be forgotten because yep. the dude had 60 yards the final three games of the season. We see this with the 49ers, and everyone says, oh, well, Kittle, he blocks so much it hurts him. Kittle ran a pass route on 86 of 99 dropbacks over that span. Mm-hmm. The targets just didn't find him. And it seems egregious that they don't. Yeah. He, it's head scratching, especially because 
the previous three games, he was on an absolute just. Like, how how do they game. watch him just to like completely tear like teams apart and yes. then just like nah, a couple of weeks where he's gonna we're just gonna not do what was like just working? It makes no sense to me. Yeah, he was on absolute demon time before mm-hmm. that. Nine for one eighty one and two, yeah. twelve for or you know, thirteen for one fifty and a touchdown six for ninety three. The Cowboys one of their weaknesses though defensively is that their linebackers are not good in coverage on any mm-hmm. level. So we've seen that they're 22nd in yards per uh, target allowed to tight ends. So do we get a Kittle game? Do we get a Kittle bounce back uh, spot here? This game, I think, ideally is the one people are going to be drawn to for stacking purposes because it's really easy to play. Dak with pass catchers. You could run back Debo. You could run back Kittle. You could run back Elijah Mitchell. I, I mean, it's it's basically a, an onslaught delight if you want it. Yeah, I think this is going to be where a lot of the ownership uh, gravitates towards, oh, yeah. which op- offers like a, a lot of opportunity if you do, do uh, want to wait until uh, game number three on this slate. Uh, but before we get there and before we build a lineup for this Sunday only slate, if you've been watching us all season long, I would appreciate if you guys could take a second, help me out, rate this podcast.com slash the Joe Holka show, leave the podcast a review. You can now leave spotify reviews as well so would really appreciate that uh helps grow the show helps grow our community reeves game number three steelers at chiefs uh this one's kind of interesting just from a straight uh spread perspective right 12 and a half point home favorite for the chiefs that is the highest by far on this entire slate per FanDuel sportsbook the sharps do appear to be okay with that thread though 91 percent of the money is on the chiefs despite just 55 percent of the betting tickets on that side the over under does favor the under currently and is set at just 46 and a half only the patriots and the bills is lower this week. Uh, so, yeah, probably the last game for Big Ben. Uh, I guess, can they put enough pressure on the Chiefs to keep firing? Like, those are the main, I think, question marks in this one. Yeah, and this is the largest spread since the NFL expanded the wild card round in 2002 that we've ever had. And if you think that's a good reason to maybe just blindly bet the Steelers, uh, I've got yeah. some news for you. Eight double digit uh, favorites uh, in the wild card round. Uh, six of those eight have covered the double digit point spread. Only one of those dogs. The Beast Quake uh, Seahawks won that game outright. So by all accounts, like the, the these lines have been set really well. Also, the Steelers have uh, another like historical like disadvantage here. Teams that lost by 17 or more points in the regular season to a non-division opponent, those teams have lost 13 straight playoff games in the rematch. And the last win under those uh, circumstances, the 2012 Ravens uh, against the Broncos, that was the uh, Jacoby Jones, uh, you know, yep. long play game. At the, the, so I mean. The, the line, even if you think you're going to get some value and you just think that you're going to get like a rematch and say like, yeah, Steelers, you know, just take the 12 blind. Then those teams haven't been good bets in those spots, especially to the Steelers. I mean, they are no doubt the worst offense on paper in the postseason. Yeah, even all uh, of the stuff that you just set aside, Reeves, like did you spend five minutes <laughs> watching Ben Roethlisberger last week? Like I can't, I can't, yeah. put, I can't put American dollars behind that. I just can't. The, the spread could be 20 and I probably still would have a hard time with it. And like you said, you kind of hit on something like how much did the Chiefs offense fire? I mean, this yeah. they were up 36 to three with three minutes left to go in that game in a game where Travis Kelsey didn't play and Tyreek Hill ran 20 pass routes. Mm-hmm. I mean, uh, the biggest signal here is that, the, you know, obviously the Steelers have paired with this game script and point thread. Steelers have been terrible against the run. Obviously, you know, we've talked about it you know, kind of all the season. They've had the most yards for carry to running backs, uh, 28th in rushing points allowed per game. When these teams played in week 16, Kansas City running backs combined for 40 touches for 222 yards. Even Derek Gore went over 100 yards in that game. Mm-hmm. As a game, CEH suffered his injury. The, well, the time of us recording this, we can't really lock in here because we need to see if CEH is going to play. Yeah. We might follow this thing into the 11th hour. Obviously, if CEH doesn't play, Daryl Williams is the 
fantastic, fantastic option yep. in this game. Even when these teams played in, in part-time playing, because he came in after CH got hurt and left in the blowout and just gave way to Derek Gore in the fourth quarter, he still had 14 touches for 85 yards. We saw him with CH off the field average 18 touches per game and 96 total yards per game. His pricing is is not accounting for maybe the upside he still would have if CH doesn't play. We just don't have that locked in for information yet. Now, if all three guys play or if CH plays and it ends up being kind of a split backfield uh, between him and Daryl Williams, uh, that definitely does throw a little bit of a cloud over things. We have to do a little more diagnosis of, well, how much work does CH get? Do they just still lean on Daryl? All these elements come into play. But uh, obviously, Daryl Williams would be the first guy I would look to uh, in this game if we get no CH. Yeah, Tyreek Hill uh, is the second highest guy, uh, second highest uh, wide receiver in the Sims behind uh, Daryl, or sorry, Debo Samuel. So it, it is kind of an interesting game because if you're going to pay AK for Tyreek Hill, you better hope that this game doesn't just get completely out of hand, right? And or, like, I and guess that his heel injury is fine. That too. Right. Yeah. So I guess the Tyreek versus I guess we were just talking about uh, some of these guys in the Dallas game versus Debo. Like, does Tyreek make you the most nervous of those? Like, obviously, it's hard for the Sims to like fully quantify like some of the risk here, probably. Right. Yeah, I think Tyreek is more of a guy I'm looking at uh, for larger field stacks Mm -hmm. for me this week. Uh, I think there's a lot of volatility, one with the injury, two with the potential game script uh, kind of in that play. So I I would feel a little bit more safer uh, with Kelsey especially with this being such a good tight end slate. I don't know how many people are just going to even be willing to pay for him. True. Uh, I mean, especially because you want to play other plays that are good. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, it, it's hard to pay up at, uh, for all these players this week, right? Like you're going to have to bite the bullet on somebody you don't like. It's not mm-hmm. like a typical full NFL slate where someone is hanging around five or six K. That's a value, right? Yep. We don't have like a lot of that right now. It's true. Uh, so I do think people maybe will have some trouble going all the way up to Kelsey, but maybe just with the point spread, they do get there. But I do think with it being such a great tight end slate that maybe he doesn't have the full ownership that maybe he would be. Cause I think he does offer a lot more safety than Tyreek does. Yeah. Um, we saw him finally get involved in some end zone targets to close the year. It, how crazy is it? He had one, one end zone target before his final three games of the season. That's wild, man. Especially because like, like that's not something yeah. we've ever seen from like the Chiefs before, right? Like he used to be, like, right. and they're just like, all right, we're just not going to do that this year. Which maybe they're saving it for the playoffs, and he's just going to go absolutely crazy. I could see that happen. Also, man, the Pittsburgh guys are kind of. I don't know what to do with these guys, right? Because they're not priced down at all. Like Najee Harris is still 8K. You wanted to go to Deontay 7,200. Like you could, I guess, if you want to get like super cheap, like you just play Fryermuth and hope for a touchdown at tight end. But like there's some opportunity cost here at the position on this three-game slate in particular. Claypool, I guess, is like by far the cheapest. He's 5,900. But man, I've like, you put number, like good American dollars behind Ben Roethlisberger. You're basically, if you're on the Claypool side of that, you got to just assume that he's being able to get the ball downfield. And we just haven't seen that, man. So, like I, the the Pittsburgh guys seem like really good fades, but they're going to be basically unowned, I would imagine, too. So how are you going to approach this? Yeah, I mean, obviously, we know if Najee checks out and he did come back in the game last week and, you know, we'll know if when he practices, uh, you know, on Thursday, if he's good to go. I do expect him to play. I think Mike Tomlin said he expects him to play, too. They're just waiting to see how he looks in practice. I mean, he'd be the one guy, right? Because, you know, you're going to get almost 30 touches. Like mm-hmm. You can almost count on it no matter what the hell the game script is. Like he's going to get his. He doesn't come off the field. He played 170 more snaps than the next closest running back uh, this season in the NFL. Uh, he's not coming off the field. He even had 24 touches in the blowout. The, you know, it said it was 36 to three, three minutes ago. He still had 24 touches for 110 yards. We know the Chiefs do have a little bit. They're a little soft in the, in terms of giving up production to running backs, and so you know he can catch the football in the backfield. Like you said, you're paying for it though. You are paying the tax. It's mm-hmm. not like he's sneaking through. Same thing with Deontay Johnson. You know you're going to get a bunch of targets. 
but you are paying for him. And, you know, you don't know how much upside necessarily those come with. He's a really good player for the other site, not a, a tremendous player for that, the full point PPR. It's just what he's really geared for. Um, he did score the lone touchdown they had. I mean, the Chiefs did allow some production to opposing wide receiver ones this year. Uh, obviously, Jamar Chase put a large dent into that as well. Um, but we did see some other wide receiver ones have post six other uh, wide receiver ones scoring weeks against them outside of the Jamar Chase nuclear bomb that was dropped on week, week 17 again on them. Claypool is probably the most interesting for the price, and he does lead the team in end zone targets. But like you said, I mean, the floor has been so low, mm-hmm. right? Like, I mean, he, he has 107 receiving yards the last four weeks. Uh, the playing time has been there, so you do like the playing time. Uh, but it's it's such a blind faith play. It is. You know, like you said. And, and maybe you need some of those this week, uh, but it, it is. He'd be the one guy I'd say, I'd say at least with the amount of snaps he plays and how cheap he is, uh, he'd be the one guy I guess I could get talked into just swinging on. Well, you might get sent uh, out there I, in late swap, right? He's probably not a guy you're starting with, but if you have some teams that are struggling, yes. you're going to have to probably find some Pittsburgh guys to pivot to. Like if you have someone like Tyreek Hill locked in and your things are going not very well, like you're probably going to end up with like some Najee Harris, like that kind of things. Uh, so yes. that's kind of where we're at. Like guys piecing this together game by game. So let's go ahead and build a lineup for this Sunday only slate Reeves. Uh, this is the Joe Holka show listener league. We have two of them this week. They're both $5. They're both three max. They're both rake free per usual fanduelcom slash Holka to get in there. Uh, so what do we want to do here? Do we want to stack up game number two? We talked about a lot of the Dallas stuff and Dak. Uh, do we want to get aggressive with some Kansas city stuff late? Uh, I'll leave a, I'll leave the stack up to you since I forced us into playing Derek Carr in the first one. Yeah. I mean, I think that looking at projected ownership and granted, I'm looking at it on Thursday. Make sure you go back and look at it. I'm showing the two highest popular plays to be Patrick Mahomes and Tom Brady by a significant amount. Yeah. Basically, with those two players occupying about 75% of all ownership. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how, what you have for the Sims, but that's what I, I see I a lot of Brady stuff. too. Yep, a lot of Brady and Mahomes. And, and I do like I do like the Brady Fournette Gronk you know stack as well. But I, like I think one. this sets up to going probably Dak and 49ers. Right? Mm-hmm. We could. I mean. I, I, I don't mind the mini stacks from Tampa Bay. We could still do like the Gronk, Fournette, and like uh, Goddard or something like that, or just like a Gronk, Fournette, and just hope that that's all the touchdowns for Tampa Bay, and then we kind of get a little bit more aggressive with like a Dak stack or something. Yeah, I, I would say let's let's do the Daks, the Dak. Yeah. See, just see if we could do it. I don't know. The pieces might be too expensive to do it. They might be. Let's let's do CD and Cedric for now, and then from the Tampa Bay side, I'll still put in Gronk and, uh, and Fournette. Cause like that right there, like we're going to need some savings. I would imagine just from those alone. So six K the rest of the way, uh, defense wise on this slate. I mean, if you don't have Mahomes, like how does it go wrong for Mahomes? It's if like big Ben completely implodes and the KC defense is what you need to get there. So I don't mind KC on a non Mahomes team in game number three, because even if you're behind, you could always just move that to the Steelers defense who no one's going to play at 3,100, something like that. Um, so I'm going to put KC defense in there for now. They are expensive. I think they're going to be pretty popular, but I like the flexibility of having a D in the later slot. So we're not too bad here. 6,400 the rest of the way, even though there's not a lot of uh, fantastic value, we could get Daryl Williams, who's a little bit cheaper, but um, is there a cheaper wide receiver that you'd want to go to in this one? We mentioned Claypool and there's a couple other guys 
down there as well. Uh, we could just like, uh, I guess, flip a coin with someone like McCall Hardman, Byron Pringle, something like that. But there, there's some options on the cheaper side. Is there any that you like specifically? You mentioned Ayuk as well, who I think would be a decent bring back. Yeah, I kind of do like the idea of uh, Ayuk here uh, mm-hmm. because of you know, Debo's going to be so popular. Yeah. Uh, especially with the back bringbacks. Mm-hmm. Um, I like it. Can we do Ayuk and Elijah Mitchell? Probably. Would that, is that going to kill us? Uh, let's see. Mitchell. Then we just need 5,700 in the flex, which is doable, right? So 5,700 in the flex gets us to like McCall Hardman, Pringle, Fryermuth. Like it's not great, but like you can make it work. Yeah. And you can even play Claypool and just go to Bucks D if you wanted. Uh, yep. You could do that. Uh, could do that. There's a lot of options there. So I do kind of like that. That's a probably a, well. that's like a, a, a nice uh, little, I guess, uh, cherry on top. If you're not playing Brady, you could just play Tampa B or Tampa Bay defense, which is uh, amazing, right? So yeah, I don't hate that at all. Yeah, so we could do something like that. Uh, and then uh, does that even give us a little bit extra? Well, right now, yeah, we got 400 remaining, yeah. which honestly, like this is not the worst thing, right? If you're going to be late swapping, having a little bit more flexibility, uh, never a bad thing. Before we get back at it, I want to thank the presenting sponsor, FanDuel, for all the support this year. New FanDuel players, listen up. Your day's about to get 20% better with a bonus on your first deposit, up to $500 for free. All you have to do is claim it by visiting FanDuel.com slash Holka. First, that link does support the channel, so thank you. And even if you are not a first-time player, it would mean the world if you give FanDuel another go this week and start that process through my link. That's FanDuel.com slash Hulk how to claim your bonus and start playing today. It'll bring you right to our $5 three entry max listener league contest. That one I will be reviewing every week on stream. Quite honestly, one of the best places you can put your money in all of DFS because it's completely rake free. There's a whole lot of NFL action left this season. So make sure you join our community over on FanDuel. Pick a lineup, stay under the salary cap and see where your team stacks up against the competition. They've got a ton of different game formats between main slate and single game contests. You can even set up private contests with your friends to experience season long wins without season long waits by joining the $5 listener league or making your first deposit through FanDuel.com slash Holka, the official daily fantasy sports partner of the Joe Holka show, age and local restrictions apply bonus is used as a non-refundable site credit that expires after 30 days want to take a second to thank our exclusive memorabilia partner pristine auction a website that auctions off a ton of insanely cool sports memorabilia each and every day with items starting at just one dollar there's thousands of auctions ending daily so some of the crazy deals that you'll see actually pretty common whether it's a daily auction a weekly auction doesn't matter the marketplace is open 24 hours with no reserves also all of these autographed items are guaranteed authentic so you never have to worry about that I do have a registration code, so make sure you enter code HOLKA when you first sign up. It's good for $10 off your first purchase, but more importantly, you're eligible for the weekly giveaways from the Mystery Unboxings, but only if you're fully registered at Pristine Auction, so hopefully it's with code HOLKA because it supports the channel, so thank you, and let's get back to the show. It's the Joe HOLKA Show presented by FanDuel. Locks of the Week, wildcard edition, position by position. These are the players that we have to have exposure to in both the Saturday and Sunday-only slates on FanDuel, bringing it all together at the end as we try and build the optimal DL. FS lineup for each one of these slates. Let's jump right into it. Quarterback locks of the week. We're going to start with the Saturday slate. Josh Allen is 8,800 versus the Patriots. And we have Joe Burrow, 7,800 versus the Raiders. So let's start with both of those guys. I think that's got to be the starting point for most people this week, I would imagine, at quarterback for the Saturday slate, right? Yeah, because I think you're looking at it. I know the line keeps dropping because of the weather and Mm -hmm. it's in the teens right now for temperature. And then, of course, if precipitation happens, then you're worried about that game that they lost. The good thing is that what we just saw from Josh Allen in a weather type game is that he still ran for two touchdowns. So Mm -hmm. you still have that. Obviously, the passing day wasn't great. So that's where I I would honestly come off of him if there is precipitation. The temperature itself doesn't scare me too much. And I'm actually hoping that it pushes some people away because of this line and because of the weather concern. But you know know what Josh Allen can do. And 
if you're looking at Saturday too, is I just where are you really getting that great of a savings unless you go with Joe Burrow? And yep. I know that the secondary for the Raiders has been talked about a lot this year, but if you also look at it from the second half of the season, and then just in comparison to some of the teams that they were playing well against secondary-wise, it's a pretty stark contrast to the level of quarterbacks they were playing. So I know some people will probably try to get Derek Carr on that game on the flip side, or maybe even try to drop down to Joe or Mac Jones to save a ton of money, but not against the. I'm not doing against the Bills defense. I think I saw somebody tweeted out that they've given it like two or three more total completions than to completions like of 20 plus yards or something ridiculous like that over the past couple of weeks. It's, it's yeah. a ridiculous number. I forget what it was. But yeah, the top two in play for me are Allen and Burrow. Yeah, the Sims agree with you. Uh, specifically, that first game does uh, kind of dominate the Sims. But from a quarterback perspective, it looks like Josh Allen, looks like Joe Burrow uh, leading the way on the slate. Obviously, uh, just a two-game slate, so not a ton of options. But definitely think that those right. two separate a little bit. I think there's an argument maybe in tournaments for Derek Carr, but uh, we'll get to that with TJ later in the week. So let's talk about the Sunday slate for a second. And at the quarterback position, I think it kind of is Dak Prescott at AK, the only game that's indoors. Like, they're, they're there's a lot of stuff to like here, especially between uh, just the Cowboys and 49ers game in general, I think has a chance to go over the total. Uh, so I'm curious if you think that, I guess, most of the ownership, I think, though, Jake, might go to Tom Brady in game number one and Patrick Mahomes in game number three. But I'm kind of with you on this Dak stuff. I'm warming up to it, right. definitely. And, and that's kind of why I'm hoping. I'm hoping that the recency good bias of Dak Prescott's two like blow up games, including one of them just only in the first half that that doesn't push too many people towards Dak. And the other reason is because I see a lot of people picking the 49ers as like the upset of the week, like of all the games that are going to happen. A lot of people seem to be like if you had a chalk upset pick, that would be what it is. And just act as the pick side of things. So I'm hoping that some people are going to be off Dak for that. And as you mentioned, you get that strategy of, OK, do I want the big gun in the first game or the last game to have mm -hmm. that hammer? And you have Brady and Mahomes, those those options. So. Yeah, I'm with Dak. I, I know a lot of times people try to avoid the middle game and to go too heavy in it, but just using Dak, this again, you mentioned 8K, so you're getting minimum 400 savings because that's Brady, then 700 from Mahomes, yep. which I think could be the most popular play. And, I mean, we know what Dak can do. Uh, mm -hmm. And I think that me, personally, this is on a sidebar. This isn't even from the DFS perspective. The other reason I'm behind it, and this might be, hey, I could be completely wrong, I just think the Cowboys are going to walk away with this game. Unless the wrong Cowboys team shows up, and I know that's always, you know, whatever, That's it's football. But mm -hmm. the right Cowboys team shows up, I mean, this could be a double-digit win. And if it's a double-digit win, you're going to have, you're going to want Dak to have been your quarterback. Yeah, and if you want a little bit more info on this game specifically, we went in detail with Rich Rebar, uh, so check out the Stacks video for that one. But yeah, again, I guess two for two, Jay, because the top optimal quarterback, if looking at the Sims on the Sunday slate, is uh, Dak Prescott by a significant margin, even though we're going to really? see Mahomes and Brady be higher owned, uh, I believe, than Dak. So uh, I'm totally on board with that. Let's talk about the running back position now, and we'll uh, transition back to the Saturday slate for a second. We have Joe Mixon, 8,500 versus the Raiders, and we have Ramondre Stevenson at 5,200 at Buffalo. So the Saturday slate, again, just two games. Uh, Joe Mixon shapes up as like one of the best plays on the entire slate. Would you agree with that? Yeah, I think Joe Mixon, I think a lot of people will be on Singletary and deservedly so, mm -hmm. uh, even going against the Patriots in that game and what his workload at 6,900. 
Honestly, I like Singletary more than Stevenson. We'll get to that in a second. But Joe Mixon, again, you just run against the Raiders. The Raiders' defense just hasn't been that great against good teams in general. But the entire season, they've been very vulnerable to the run. That's something that you and I have talked about this entire year is attacking the Raiders in their running back department. So Joe Mixon has that appeal. The only way where I would say you go away from this, but this is probably something you talk more about with TJ, is that if you do, similar to the Thanksgiving game you and I talked about, is like, if you fade Joe Mixon and he has just 80 yards without a touchdown, you're going to be having a leg up on everybody. So yep. if you want to go that direction, but that's what you would have to have happen because it is a smaller slate, only two games on Saturday. Like Joe Mixon really has to have pretty a pretty poor game to avoid him, but I, I just don't see that happening against the Raiders. So that's why I'm on Mixon. I, again, I like Singletary a lot, but I wanted to throw out what would be my low-end option because we're not going to be able to slam our team together with – Seven and eight thousand dollar options down the line. Sure. Uh, if you're looking at this, so the scenario situation, go back to when we were talking about Josh Allen. What happened? It, like the good game for the Bills, where they won by I think it was like thirty something to twenty one, uh, thirty eight or something like that to twenty one or thirty three to twenty one or something. Anyway, you, the the Patriots, if Stevenson needs to be involved in the passing game, can be. And then if it is the game where they won in the snow and the weather goes bad, they're going to run so much that Stevenson's going to be in play no matter what the health is of Damian Harris. And that's why I think he's intriguing at 5,200 when you go down this list because outside of him, if you're really trying to get deep savings on here, anybody in the five to low K range under that, I don't see anybody getting significant work. Like Bolden would need Stevenson or Harris to miss the game. Unless you think that's going to be a 40 to nothing blowout and he gets fourth quarter work. And then Richard gets, what is he going to get? Four catches? Right. So I just don't see anybody else getting enough involvement like Stevenson could. Yeah, just looking at the Sims, uh, Joe Mixon leads the way by a pretty significant margin. I'm with you, Singletary, if you didn't want to pay all the way up or, or have some builds where you play Singletary and Mixon. Probably feels like the optimal route, but I, I do like the the Stevenson call uh, quite a bit. Let's talk about Sunday quickly, because this running back, we're still waiting on some news, obviously, if CEH is confirmed out. Daryl Williams, I mean, instantly becomes one of the best plays on this entire slate at just 6,600. But let's talk about playoff Lenny for a second, 7,300. <laughs> I mean, you, you don't have to talk me into this one, but I, I'm curious your thoughts on him being, I mean, he's probably the top running back play on the slate if we get CEH in or limited CEH, uh, whatever it may be, right? Uh, Leonard Fournette seems like an absolute smash. Yeah, especially the 7,300. 7, obviously, we'll see some time, too, to make sure that he sounds like he's 100%. Uh, hopefully, he is. That's the risk, obviously. But the, the good news is that it sounds like Ronald Jones is doubtful at this point. And to tie into the CEH thing is I like Daryl Williams even before that. I think what Daryl Williams has been doing and this offense has been clicking that even if CEH is coming back, I think Daryl Williams is the lead at this point. Mm -hmm. And just from the performance now, it does that chip into his touches. Obviously, CEH is not going to come back and not see anything. But I like Daryl Williams anyway. And I have a feeling that lineup build, if you're playing on Sunday, I don't dislike Najee Harris, but that game could go sideways really fast for Pittsburgh. I don't dislike Ezekiel Elliott, especially if I do think that the Cowboys are going to win by double digits, potentially. Mm -hmm. I think they win, but the, the potential part being the double digits. It's just some of these are like, ooh, 8,000, 7,700. Why not just take Fournette? Elijah Mitchell. Well, if that game also, again, goes sideways and Debo Samuel keeps getting involved, 7,400. So it's just... The price at 7300 is just hard to get away from. I don't want to touch the Philadelphia backfield 
because with Miles Sanders back, it's all of them. And yeah. who the hell knows? I'm sure one of them will score a touchdown, but good guess on picking who. That's more of a TJ call. <laughs> yeah, and then the injury, I mean, from, like, Sanders in general. Like, is he even going to be used in pass-blocking situations? Is he going to be used at all, like, as a pass catcher? Like, who knows, right? Like, that seems, like, a little bit scary for me. And he is nowhere near the Sims right now. The only guy from Philly that's in the Sims, uh, really, even in the top, like, 15, is Dallas Goddard. And that's on the slate that's just absolutely loaded at tight end, which we can get to shortly. But uh, before we move on to wide receiver, uh, I know if you guys have been with us all year, I'd really appreciate it if you could help out the show. Rate this podcast.com slash the Joe Holka show. There is Spotify reviews now, so I'd really appreciate that. It helps grow the show, but ultimately uh, helps us grow our community overall also. So uh, wide receiver lock of the week on the Saturday slate, Gabe Davis versus the Patriots. He is extremely, extremely cheap, Jake. So uh, that's got to be like part of the thought process here, right? That's part of it. You know, I've mentioned before, too, is that he's already ahead of Manuel Sanders. Mm -hmm. I know Emmanuel Sanders doesn't have the injury designation, so that downgrades him a little bit, but not enough to the point where I actually hope that makes people come off of him because the bad weather game I was talking about where Josh Allen ran for two touchdowns, that didn't hit for Davis, but the passing game did it. And then the very last week, next week after that, Davis was what I almost texted you like he had two touchdowns a big play like he still he was has just, a role in the red zone regardless of like Sanders being right in, but right? there was yeah. just they just missed like legitimately like three plays between Allen and him he like just missed where yeah. everybody would be like oh this is a great call yeah I'm all over like Davis would probably be very chalky mm -hmm. so I actually like the fact that he just missed on a couple opportunities there so if you're going to Allen I'm going right back to it. I told you, like, the Allen's Diggs gave Davis stack. I hit last week, and they didn't hit with the Davis part, but it hit enough mm -hmm. that it still did really well for me. I'm going right back to it against New England. And the biggest thing, too, is if J.C. Jackson does what he did last time, I'm actually off Diggs because J.C. Jackson has shadowed a little bit towards the end of the year, and he did spend a decent amount of time on Diggs. I think he almost was on him most of the game that time. Diggs is a tough price, too, right? Because you're making that decision between, like, kind of, like, mixing at that point, right? Like, if you really, like, have to... If you're going to go stars and scrubs, it's not as easy to do uh, if you're going to be putting Diggs in those. And then Gabriel Davis is 5,200. I was, like, skimming, trying to find his... I had to scroll all the way down to find him in his salary, 5,200 for Gabe Davis. Uh, so, I mean, on that, the Singletary stuff is interesting because if you're playing Josh Allen, Singletary is, like, the one guy in the this offense that just doesn't really positively correlate to any of those weapons right so i actually think that singletary is a one-off makes a lot more sense if you're trying to build optimally but let's let's save some time for these wide receivers on sunday jay because there's a lot more of them to talk about i think uh, obviously the dallas guys we have cd lamb 7300 we have cedric wilson who's way too cheap at 6k uh, against the 49ers and then on the other side of this game debo samuel 8700 probably going to be one of the more popular plays on the entire slate i haven't played enough debo samuel this year that's for sure. But this mini stack, even if you aren't going Dak, like these passing options in game number two, I think on Sunday makes a lot of sense. So start wherever you want. I, I like the Dallas guys a lot, though. We're definitely on the same page there. Yeah, you have to like the Dallas guys a lot. And honestly, the inconsistency of Mari Cooper, we'd be intrigued by Michael Gallup in general, but Cedric Wilson, the two touchdowns, although I think that's going to make him chalky because again, recency bias and people are going to see that have happened, but he'd be in play anyway. Like just swap out the name. If you're going to put the third wide receiver at 6,000, that person could always be involved, whether it was Gallup before this Wilson now. Hell, if it was not Wilson, it was Noah Brown or somebody like that, we'd be intrigued. So that's what it comes down to. If I'm going Dak, I'm going CeeDee Lamb. He's the lock of the one. I could see people wanting to risk that Cooper has the big games, but his big games haven't even been that big mm -hmm. from Cooper's past years. So, yeah, I would actually go on the 
ends, I would go with the clear number one and Lamb, and I would go with Wilson. And then, yeah, absolutely, if there's any way you can build your lineup and come back with Debo Samuel, 100%. I know the touches have been a little bit more consistent down the stretch, but if you're going to give me the opportunity to have a rushing touchdown, he almost went for the trifecta. He had a rushing and a passing without the receiving. He almost got the receiving, too. It's insane, honestly. Like At this point, 8700 is actually underpriced for what Debo Samuel is doing. So outside of that, I mean, I thought about Deontay Johnson because I always think about Deontay Johnson, mm-hmm. so you know that. But those are the main ones I'd be looking at this weekend. Yeah, the top optimal Ray players uh, on the Sunday slate, Leonard Fournette, Debo Samuel, significantly higher than uh, the rest of the field. Debo is like one of those ones, too, where it's like we haven't really seen. It's crazy to think about, but like his true ceiling, like hitting all of these things at once, like getting a bunch of targets, like if he throws a ball, whatever, but a bunch of targets, a bunch of rush attempts, like it very rarely happens in the same game. So that ceiling is just so incredibly high for him. Uh, he's more expensive than Tyreek Hill, but I think uh, for good reason at this point. But uh, let's keep this thing moving at the tight end position on the Saturday slate if we did want to pay down to someone like CGA Uzoma 5200 against the Raiders I think that one makes a ton of sense on a slate where there's not a ton of like really appealing value so talk about CGA Uzoma a little bit yeah that's really all it is it's just paying down if you're not going to go Dawson Knox which the Patriots have been pretty dang good against tight ends the entire year Uh, not that Knox can't hit against them but at 6,000 you kind of almost put in the conversation well Waller looked pretty good in his first mm-hmm. game back so why not just get to Waller at 63 but on the sure. flip side of the game it just comes down to savings if I, especially in a small slate if I can find a way to get savings and I mean he's not the min because you have Jonu and Foster Moreau but nobody's playing that second tight end on the team right. so he's basically the min tight end and if I think the Bengals are going to do what the Bengals do and put up a hell of a lot of points we've seen Uzoma Uzama however we say his last name I don't even know at this point because everybody says <laughs> differently yeah but it, it's it comes down to the fact we've seen him score two touchdowns before you're just hoping he scores a touchdown that's really what yeah. it comes down to yeah and the sunday slate is really interesting at tight end because we have george kittle we have uh, travis kelsey we have rob gronkowski and then we have a really cheap <laughs> dallas goddard right so like yeah you mentioned deontay johnson and the steelers like pat fryermuth like if you're just there grabbing you a touchdown at tight end like that might be enough right so he's your lock of the week on the sunday slate 5400 at kc yeah, Gronkowski's obvious. Yeah. Uh, Kelsey, obvious. I mean, Kelsey's only $100 more than him at this point, which is mm-hmm. crazy to see. Uh, Kittle's been not just Trey Lance, but a little bit more inconsistent, especially with Debo and Ayuk doing their thing and Elijah Mitchell back and his opportunity. So, yeah, Fryermuth, people know I love Air Fryermuth, and it just comes down to his involvement in the past game. I know Gentry's starting to get a little bit more involved, but at the same time, if Fryermuth touchdown at 5,400, very similar to Uzama, but a lot more consistent use on top of it when healthy and it was just that concussion that knocked him out for a little bit of time so yeah if you're not going for one of the i guess you would say big three i mean i don't i don't dislike schultz either at 62 but 800 savings between schultz and fryermuth i'm probably just going to go fryermuth also because blake jarwin is back and it's just again schultz usage is a little bit more inconsistent than fryermuth is all right, before we build a lineup for each of these slates, going to bug you guys one last time to subscribe to the second YouTube channel. I've noticed a lot of you guys have not hit the notification bell over there. So even if you've already subbed, definitely make sure you hit that bell uh, so you don't miss anything along the way. Going to do a bunch of stuff throughout the playoffs over on that channel. So fanduel.com slash Holka. We are going to build a lineup for each of these slates. There's a $5 rake free tournament for each of them. Jake will have some teams in both. So let's uh, let's start on Saturday and we can move a little bit quicker. Obviously there's not as many decisions to be made here. So uh Saturday slate, uh, what do you want to do at quarterback, Jake? Joe Burrow. Let's go All that right. route. Let's do it. Let's so do we, or, I think we're fine playing Mixon with Burrow though, correct? 
Yeah, I think so. Actually, you know what? Let's see if we have to go. Yeah, I'm going to immediately leave it open for now. We'll, yeah. We'll, yeah. Let's come back to that. We'll come back okay. to see where we leave it. So go with Mixon. Mm -hmm. And then we'll go with the wide receiver. Go with you get T. Higgins now that he's healthy. Yeah, and he's kind of cheap yeah. at 6900 I feel like, too, versus yeah, someone no, like Renfro in that range. Bananas at the end of the year. Yeah. <laughs> like, so Higgins, Davis, put those two in. Okay. I'm going to pay up for the Bills defense. I was just going to say, Jones, let's get a defense in that other second, game. Yeah, second half of the season to Mac Jones mm -hmm. has been pretty poor. We were, we were praising how efficient and turnover, non-turnover prone he had been, and he's kind of fallen off in the second half of the season, so I like that. But, we're still fine on salary at this point, 6700 So, yeah, I think we're doing good so say, far. Put a, put a Zama in there to okay. like, get the cheap tight end, mm -hmm. and then let's go and see if we can fill out the Josh Allen Okay, so we got Josh Gabe Davis Allen. in here. Oh, so do we have Burrow or Josh Allen in here? We were going to come back to that. Okay, we're have, cool. Uh, yeah, so, we'll, so let's put let's put Josh Allen in. Okay, so right now we got Allen, Gabe Davis, Buffalo defense in that game. In the other game, we got Mixon, T. Higgins, Uzoma so far. Okay, so sixty nine hundred the rest of the way. Let's let's bring Higgins back with Renfro. <laughs> okay. We got Renfro in there. I think that makes sense, especially if Uzoma is going to be at tight end. Like, we don't probably need to force in uh, Waller onto this team. So, we got Renfro, 6,800 the rest of the way for a running back and a flex. What does Stevenson get us? Stevenson at 5,200 gets us uh, Jamar Chase at 82, Stephan, Stephon Diggs at 8K. So, we yeah, but, yeah, but Higgins, Uzama, and Chase with no Burrow doesn't make a hell of a lot of sense. That's true, but it's still like a mini stack, right? It's a two-game slate. I think you're probably adding Diggs yes. to this one, though, right? That gives you a little bit more flexibility. You have 400 left on the I table if you wanted yeah. to make some moves. I kind of want to stay off Diggs, though, so that's the problem. Okay, so let's leave Diggs out. What, what would you back, want to upgrade? Let's go back to, yeah, so let's go back to Burrow. Okay. Let's put in Chase at flex just mm -hmm. to see what that takes. So Stevenson at running back out, and that gives us 6,400. 6,400. Single tier. <laughs> Close, does, yeah. Does nothing. Uh, yeah. So if we put Stevenson in at tight end, what does that let us do? I'm doing this at the same time as you, obviously. Any Stevenson in want. at running so back? Put Darren Waller in. Oh, it fits. Perfect. That's great. Good stuff. I go. love how that uh, that works out. So let's let's move right into the Sunday slate, Jake. I'm going to get you out of here as quick as I can. And the Sunday slate. Back running backs. I don't know. So that was what I was going to. I started to say that and then stopped and went on to another point. I want to come back to running backs on Sunday if I'm building okay. my team for everybody. So... Put in the Debo, put in mm -hmm. C.D. Lamb and mm -hmm. Cedric Wilson, mm -hmm. and then put in Dak. I was just going to say, might as well do the Dak double with this one. So that's kind of the starting point, which I don't hate. So defense probably in the other game makes sense, or at least one of the other games, right? So we got KC all the way at the top. We got Tampa Bay significantly cheaper if you did want to go that route. Those are probably the two yeah, top yeah, options. Yeah, Tampa Bay. Okay. So Tampa Bay at 4,200, still 64 the rest of the way, but we're still going to have to find some sort of salary relief here, probably. Yeah, so if we put in Daryl Williams, that gives mm -hmm. us a little bit, but not enough yet. What's the I deal end. with CEH? Like, I th when do you think we're going to know about that? I guess you said it doesn't really matter to you, right, even if he does play? Nah, I'd say Friday. Okay, so 6,400 the rest of the way for a running back, tight end, and flex. Put Fryermuth in. Okay. 6,900 now. And then if we put in for net, what does that mm -hmm. leave us? 6,500 in the flex. That gets us like, uh, we could double tight end this one. With I don't hate that, actually. 
So I know we're going to make probably, we're going to expand on this point because this is on TJ's agenda today in the GVP show. So make sure you guys check out that video. But maybe this is a slate where it is so loaded at tight end that instead of just picking one, you're not really getting a lot of leverage either way. Maybe it's just a roster construction move here where you try and play two tight ends. Like, what do you, th what do you think about yeah, that? Like adding say. Kittle? I think it could be interesting because at the same time, especially for this lineup, I mean, you're bringing it back twice now with mm -hmm. Debo and Kittle. We are back. It's the Joe Holka Show presented by FanDuel. Top tournament plays of the week, wildcard round edition, position by position through both the Saturday only and the Sunday only slate. Guys that can get overlooked in GPPs, but can get us to the top of the DFS leaderboards plus we're going to show you guys how to use all this information to build a gpp lineup at the end i think there's some people that are probably playing the saturday through sunday slate uh, which i prefer personally but yeah. the main slates are saturday only and are sunday only so that's where the listener leagues will be uh, make sure you guys get in over there we will build a lineup for each of those let's start with the quarterback position tj and jump right into it your gpp play of the week on the saturday slate is Derek carr he's 6800 at Cincinnati. I think this is a slate where a lot of people are probably just going to pay up for Josh Allen or for Joe Burrow. But I mean, Derek Carr does a lot in roster construction and some of my early builds. So tell us, tell us why you like him. Yeah. And, and we have to kind of like take the, the unique plays moniker with like a grain of salt, right? Because even on, on the biggest slates for these two or three game slates, the winning lineups might not even have a player with sub 10% ownership, you know, may, maybe like two players in like the 10 to 20% range. You don't need to force that. So when we're saying like unique plays here, we're going to go through all these and there's, there are ways to kind of be different, but we're probably like very rarely playing any of the two plays we mentioned, but even together. Right. So mm -hmm. just kind of different ways to think about like, so for quarterback, we're just kind of thinking through each slate and how we're more thinking about game flows than projections. Right. Right? So like, how are these two games going to play out? We know that Raiders and Bengals can both win in a shootout. The Bills and, and Patriots game, like if that game's high scoring, it's probably only going to be on the Bills side. If that game's close, it's probably a low scoring game. So if we're looking at it, like what are the most likely things to happen? Shootout in the early game, Bills win big. If there's a way that a team wins big in this Raiders game, I actually think it's the Raiders, not the Bengals, even though the Bengals are heavy favorites because the Raiders have that really ferocious pass rush. So if there's like a surprise big blowout, it's the Raiders side. So with Carr, you kind of get, a, you get like a double whammy. You get a chance that the Raiders win big, or we know both teams can win a shootout. So you get Derek Carr saving salary. You could still heavily stack the game with Carr and just get low, lower ownership and lower salary than Joe Burrow. Yeah, just looking at the Sims, if we were to simulate this slate 10,000 times, obviously it is a two-game slate, but the Cincinnati and and Las Vegas players kind of dominate this one yeah. overall. Like at the top, we have Joe Mixon, then a couple pass catchers for the Raiders, Darren Waller and Hunter Renfro. So let's talk yeah. about the quarterback position on the Sunday only slate. And from a GPP perspective, Jalen Hurts definitely stands out. He's 7,700 at Tampa Bay. I think uh, a lot of the ownership is going to go towards Tom Brady. It's going to go towards Patrick Mahomes. And if you're not going with one of those guys, you're probably playing Dak Prescott, right? So this might be one yep. of the unique situations where it is just a three-game slate, but there's still probably a decent amount of leverage here with Jalen Hurts, right? Yeah, I actually love this slate because I, I think it really does present a lot of ways to think through the game scripts. I mean, we have two games that are expected to be blowouts with huge spreads, and then that 49ers-Dallas game that has the big over-under and a small spread. So most likely, people are going to stack Tampa heavily, stack the Chiefs heavily, or game stack that 49ers-Cowboys game. If not, it'll probably be balanced between those teams with the Eagles and the Steelers not being popular at all. Mm -hmm. I like Jalen Hurts because the Eagles don't need to ball out for Hurts to get there. Obviously, he can run a lot. He has 
probably the most popular player on the slate in Dallas Goddard um, on his team. So you can roll out like a, a Jalen Hurts Goddard stack, still heavily like game stack this game on the Tampa Bay side. And I think it'll be really unique that alone because people are going to have a very hard time getting away from Dallas and 49ers players, especially because most of them are quite affordable and or trying to stack the Chiefs. I, I think that there is a really big argument to be made to avoiding that Chiefs game. I, I think one way the Chiefs don't go crazy, I think the Chiefs win comfortably, but I think one way they don't go crazy is they still get close to covering the spread, but Steelers just slow those games down yep. so much. Only five of their games have went over where the Chiefs could win like a 23 to 10 type game, but none of their players score so much that you need them in the optimal lineup. So I kind of like the idea of heavily stacking this Tampa Bay field game where a lot of people if again if their game stacking is to be Dallas San Francisco mm -hmm. and getting that Jalen Hurts rushing upside he could you know he could match Brady Brady can throw 303 and, and Hurts can still match him in fantasy points because of his legs so I, I really like the idea of game stacking Philly Tampa Bay on this Sunday slate yeah it's kind of like the opposite of like some of these slates where we would like to have like a lot of flexibility late but like I think no. if you're looking for the hammer no. with Kansas City like there's a lot of ways that that can go wrong and if other people are thinking that that is like the direction where they want to leave slots open for Tyreek Hill and for Patrick Mahomes like you might even get a decent amount of leverage and we've talked about before if you're going to be playing like a couple players from the first game if you're going to be playing chalk players it honestly makes sense to go like overstack the first game right because most people yes. if they're going to yeah. like try and grab pieces in game number one they're not going to be willing to overstack right so you don't want to be in the middle that, that's yeah. my main take on it so let's talk about the running back position on the saturday slate first ramondre stevenson is 5200 again this is a slate that's probably going to be dominated by joe mixon and devin singletary at the running back position and if this buffalo game ends up being like a pretty heavy weather situation stevenson stands out as like one of the best value plays on the board but probably going to go slightly overlooked yeah and and just back to your point like obviously there's huge advantages with late swap on both days but like if you are going to like there's also just like hit and hold right mm -hmm. if your early games go off hope it holds because like you if you're going to be using late swap like you said like you don't want to just like pick these optimal plays early on then you just don't have a lot of information mm -hmm. on to the the saturday slate with the running backs the most popular players on the slate my projections, Joe Mixon, Josh Jacobs, Devin Singletary, they can all approach or exceed 60% ownership, right? Everybody has to roster two running backs. There's only four teams to pick from. Obviously, the contrarian play here is Damian Harris because he is the, the guy that's getting most of the work. But Ramondre had a head injury last week, only played 15% of snaps in week 18. They were getting blown out, came back into the game. So it's not anything that's going to you know carry over in the wildcard week. But if we go back earlier... Stevenson was pretty much splitting snaps with Harris. So straight up, like if I'm trying to be contrarian, I do like Harris more, but it's very hard to find these super unique plays on the slate in a timeshare on a slate where we don't really have any other running backs that are going to be in timeshares this week. If Stevenson can steal the touchdowns, I think it's really interesting, especially if you're going to stack that Raiders game. You can pair Singletary with either of the, the Patriots backs, and I think that's going to be a very unique build with everybody rostering Mixon and Jacobs. Like It's fine. I, I think it's very viable on this slate to just throw out the top three running backs into even the biggest tournaments and just lock the three running backs with a running back in your flex. But if you're trying to get unique, the idea of playing Singletary, and, and again, like Stevenson, is he's probably the biggest dart throw I'm willing to make on this two-game slate, but I think it's worth it with only like five viable backs on the whole slate. Yeah, and on Sunday, we're going to stay with these Philly players because if there's one situation, even on a three-game slate, that not many people are going to want to do, it's probably Miles Sanders. He's 5,900 against Tampa yeah. Bay. The 
the matchup's not good. Obviously, kind of a three-headed backfield across the board here. Sanders coming back from injury. There's a lot of reasons that just Miles Sanders of like, if he does get the workload, like he's going to be unowned, right? And again, that like right. doesn't happen on these three-game slates. Yeah, it's not going to happen at all. There just aren't enough players for somebody like him to go unknown. And then going back to the, the idea of that game stack build, if you want to, if you want to be kind of balanced, but you still want access to this game, I think something really interesting you could do is go hurt Sanders, which gives you a ton of leverage off of Goddard, who I mentioned is probably going to be the most popular play, include Leonard Fournette in that stack. And then you have a really good chance at cornering a ton of points in that game without heavily stacking it, also being contrarian, giving you the flexibility to get up to some of these bigger pass catchers. So actually, even though people like typically would think Hertz and Sanders are going to cannibalize each other. I like the idea of just like hoping to corner all the Phillies points, getting leverage off of Goddard, and then giving yourself flexibility for some of the bigger pass catcher names in the later windows. I like that idea quite a bit when it's like not easy to get different on these type of slates. Sometimes you got to take some swings on uh, some of those and, and you get to yeah. do that in one of the earlier games. I definitely think even if it doesn't work out with Miles Sanders, like you can recover, right? Like you can make moves yep. along the way to, to kind of uh, catch up in that scenario. Before we move on, if you guys somehow haven't heard we do have a second YouTube channel now for the Joe Holka show. So make sure you guys subscribe over there immediately. The DFS season has a long way to go. So we're going to start ramping up some shorter form videos and that's going to be over on the second channel. Don't want you guys to miss out. Hit that notification bell just like you have over on the main channel. Uh, wide receiver play of the week from a GPP's perspective on Saturday. Gabe Davis, he's 5,200 against New England, like one of the best salary savers, but still, again, another guy that I don't think a lot of people are going to gravitate towards. Tell us why you like him, TJ. When we're going through these ownership projections, it's really just a math problem. And when we go through it, the Raiders and Bengals ca pass catchers are going to draw so much ownership. We're mm -hmm. going to see Jamar T. Higgins, probably the best value on the slate on Saturday. T. Higgins is going to be in a lot of lineups, even if people aren't stacking that game. On the Raiders side, Hunter Renfro, even Zay Jones, and then Darren Waller, they're going to draw a ton of ownership. And then on in this late game, or in this Bills game, it's really just going to be Stephon Diggs and then the other guys kind of fall by the wayside a little bit. So like Gabe Davis isn't going to be, he's not 10% play, but 20% on this slate um, is very intriguing. And we've seen him get a ton of red zone work, even though Manny Sanders is active like or likely to be active, that might actually push down Gabe Davis's ownership a little bit, but he's been very good towards the end of the season. He's a touchdown scorer. So I, I think he's somebody that I'm not using like in, in one-offs, but if you're stacking the bills, if you're playing Josh Allen, I really like the idea of including Gabe Davis where him and, and Cole Beasley are probably going to split each other's ownership a little bit. I just really love the Gabe Davis play here um, at like probably 20%-ish in, in big field stuff. Yeah, same price, but on the Sunday slate, we have Brashad Perriman. He's 5,200 uh, yeah. versus the Philadelphia Eagles. So again, really focusing on that game and kind of fading some of the ownership in game number two and game number three. Perriman is someone else that like if you can get that... We talked about this a little bit with Hodge earlier in the week, TJ. Like if you're going to be taking swings on this first game or trying to be contrarian in game number one, sometimes it, if you hit that value play early, it's actually a little bit more valuable, right? Because then you can really yep. use that remaining salary, the rest of the slate as it progresses, and you're not really handcuffed in that way. So I'm always trying to find like these wide receivers in game number one uh, that are going to go overlooked. So Perriman definitely checks a bunch of boxes here for me. Yeah, and he, this is one of the nuances of a short slate versus a full slate. Perriman's a player that you would usually only include if you're heavily stacking the Buccaneers and you could definitely still do that but if you play someone like Perriman early and he hits it gives you a ton of information for these later late swap opportunities if you have like a sub 10% player that goes for two touchdowns you could pretty much play whoever you want you kind of get to stop worrying about the chalk because on the yep. slates the small you could win with 60% players in your lineup the interesting thing about this Sunday slate is I don't think 
any wide receiver goes crazy owned because Debo, Mike Evans, Tyreek, Deontay, CD, Amari, they're all really good plays. None of them are, are crazy expensive. Debo's 87, but I think I don't really think anybody gets over 35%. So we even though I've been saying, you know, we don't really have like sub 10% guys in these type of slates, I actually think that Perriman can be the one. Cyril Grayson has been dealing with uh, injury. He's questionable to play. People are going to play Tyler Johnson just because he's unique, but he's a slot guy. So Perriman could run all of the outside routes and be the primary guy in two wide receiver sets. We know he could get loose on long balls. It's not a volume play by any means, but he's just a, a really good play in a spot where a team's supposed to score a lot of points. He's kind of the unique one that stands out to me because Gronk, Mike Evans, Fournette, they're all going to be played. The tight end position is really interesting across the board on wildcard weekend. On Saturday, in particular, I think a lot of people are going to gravitate towards Darren Waller at the top yeah. end, and if not, they're still probably going to stay in that game and save some salary with CJ Huzoma. So if yeah. you wanted to get different at tight end in Saturday's slate, Hunter Henry, 5,900 at Buffalo. Again, another one of these cheaper plays that I don't think people are really going to go towards. Uh, tell us why you like him, TJ. Um, just because I think, I think Darren Waller is going to dominate ownership so so much on the slate it, there's just really all of the touchdown the tight ends besides waller are touchdown or bust so go to the lowest guy if waller doesn't get there hope henry gets the touchdown there there really isn't much rhyme or reason to it i, I think zoma henry and and knox pretty much do or should project basically the same it's like a few targets and then maybe a touchdown uh, so go with the lowest on guy in that spot yeah i think the tight end slate on sundays is a lot more interesting right because normally like if we had a, a lever to pull and feel good about like like the way what we're getting different on tight end like we are with hunter henry it makes a lot of sense on sunday it seems like it's going to be kind of spread out right so tj yep. you had kind of a roster construction idea and like uh the tight end specifically on sundays that makes uh, a lot of sense so curious your thoughts we're going to have goddard as the most popular player of, as i've mentioned quite a bit he's just a tremendous value but then we have gronk kittle and, and kelsey i think depending on the size of your tournament or the buy-in of your tournament i really think that those guys's ownership can all really be interchangeable anywhere from 22% to 35%. Uh, I, I think they're all just kind of go, going to be mixed in there. It's an extremely strong tight end slate. And one thing that we see in large field tournaments, one of the best ways to gain an edge is understand how you can really leverage that flex position. And I think a lot of people do it poorly. But what we see when we have these opportunities, like we do where the tight end slate is extremely strong on such a small slate, if you're flexing tight end heavily, like the vast majority of your lineups, if that's the optimal thing to do and say only like 30% of lineups are doing it and you're doing it in 60% of your lineups, you give yourself an edge on the field. So I don't think it's a good idea to like go down to a firemouth to try to get a unique tight end because there's it's such a strong slate. I think instead, really focus in on playing whatever two of these tight ends you like, playing two tight ends and really just getting two fantastic plays. I, I think a fair amount of people will do it but i don't think there are enough people especially if you're playing like in a 150 max will let themselves have it in 100 120 lineups and i think you could really do it on this slate yeah per usual guys i want you guys to pause this video let us know in the comments your favorite gpp play for each of these slates we do have a listener league for both the saturday and sunday only contest five dollars rake free that's what we're going to do right now tjs we're going to build a lineup for each of these slates and we're going to start on Saturday. So I guess from this perspective, do you want to try and build out something with Derek Carr to give us some flexibility or uh, do you want to focus on on something else here? Uh, two game slate, obviously we can kind of fly through this, but curious uh, how you would go about it. I think that 
I'm I'm going to build really one of two ways: a Raiders Bengals shootout or a Bills high scoring game. I, I just don't think it makes sense to try to like lean into a, a Bills Patriots shootout. That just doesn't seem viable to me. So I mean, I say we just go with a a full crazy onslaught of the of the Raiders and Bengals car. Okay. I, for, and in that perspective, it's kind of just: do you want to play Waller or mm-hmm. not? Um, yeah, that was going to be my first question is if we did double up Carr with, uh, I mean, do we want to do Waller with that? Do we want to try and get different with like Renfro and Zay Jones, something like that? Like, I, I guess we haven't talked a whole lot about Josh Jacobs on any of the shows so yeah. far, but he's pretty expensive. So, uh, yeah, I, I agree like that Carr and that makes sense, but I just don't know the exact uh, combination you want to go with. I, I think if I'm playing Carr, let's say I'm playing a single entry just for for this arg- this discussion. I think if I'm playing Carr on a two-game slate, I think I'm just trying to jam in every pass catcher on the Raiders and bring back the most important pass catchers on the Bengals and see what I can do. So like if I'm playing Carr, I'm trying to play, I'm playing Zay, Hunter, Waller, and trying to bring it back with Jamar and T and seeing what, what I have left. Cool. I like that. So we got 6,400 left at that point. So we're probably playing a defense on uh, New England and Buffalo. Buffalo, I think, is going to be one of the more popular defenses on the slate for that exact reason. So we could go Patriots defense just just to be different with that. Or we just play Buffalo and it's a late swap scenario. If we're in a lot of trouble, then you just play the lower owned one at that point. Having Buffalo in there gives you the flexibility to have either. So I'm I'm fine with either though. What does it look like if we Singletary, Harris, and Buffalo defense? Singletary... Harris. So yeah, we can do that. The 300 on the table there. So then at that point, we're just playing the run game for both. And Harris, if he does end up going under owned, it's great. Or if you're in a lot of trouble, you could always just move Buffalo defense to Patriots defense and you're in pretty good shape. Yeah. And a couple of things to note, like leaving a lot of salary on the table is very viable, like up to a thousand bucks, I think is a really good way to be unique. And playing a, a player against defense is almost inevitable. Like you don't have to avoid that by any means. So I, I think it's fine. And just leaving a, a late swap scenario there. Obviously, we're not able to, we're not flexing our running back which isn't ideal in the late game but you know it is what it is you, you can always you can always just swap to like stevenson if you're super worried about not being unique enough or something like that yeah totally agree a sunday slate obviously three games in this one i like the idea of getting aggressive with game number one though tj we haven't built one of those yet so do you want to build out some sort of hertz lineup with this one that's like kind of onslaught in game number one yeah i i kind of like even if it's not an onslaught like a game stack and, mm-hmm. and kind of a either a full fade of the late game or at least just chiefs defense again i just think that yeah. game could be really low scoring so we could go like hurts goddard and then we could I, if we, we could I leave like, i really like the idea of fading goddard just because he's gonna be the most popular player on the slate let's I'm go hurts a... let's go hurt sanders then and we'll leave uh goddard out of it yeah hurt hurt sanders hurt sanders for net some kind of with some kind of double tight end build to really get the leverage off of goddard i think is really interesting okay well, let's throw gronk in there then and then we could go Perriman too. Like if we're going to have like a lot from this game, like Perriman just opens up a lot for some of this yeah, other I, stuff. I like, I like that idea. Yeah. So I'm going to put as a placeholder for now, Chiefs defense on this one so we can focus okay. on what the rest of this lineup has. So two wide receivers and a flex left at 7,200. So if we wanted to add in another tight end that is not named Dallas Goddard, would you prefer to put in Kittle in this situation? Because yeah. Debo is probably going to be one of the highest owned players on the slate as well. Yeah, I like Kittle a lot in this Okay. Part. 
Um, so we got tons of salary, seventy six hundred for a couple for, wide receivers now. So I mean, we could we go Debo CD? We can go Debo. Can't quite get to CD. Very close. We're at sixty five hundred left if we go Debo. Okay. How much is how much is Cedric Wilson? Six K, I believe. Yeah, six K. So if we went Cedric, we could get in Debo, of course, uh, and still leave some salary on the table. We could go Debo and Auk if you wanted to go that range. You could go. I mean, that's just like uh, an onslaught of San Francisco, though. Yeah. What if we went, if we took out Debo, if we went Cedric and CD, how much does that leave over? That would give us a decent amount left over. That would give us 1,900. So if you went CD instead of Debo, you could just play Amari, who like for whatever reason, everyone wants to skip over this week. Uh, so I think that's actually somewhat interesting because of like the targets that he's been seeing recently. You could go that direction, just play the kind of the elite double without Dak, I think will be kind of unique too. So you're saying CD and Amari? We could do that. Yeah, if you didn't want to play Debo. If you want to play Debo, you, you go, basically the decision is Debo, Cedric versus CD and Amari, I think. I I kind of like the idea like either way we're going to be super we're going to have a lot of flexibility right mm -hmm. so I mean this is where the leaving salary on the table kind of comes like into a late swap like just leaving CD and leaving CD and Cedric Wilson in there mm -hmm. and like Could giving you like a, a unique like leaving a lot of salary on the table type of build and then if for whatever reason you need to swap it just lets you swap to whatever you want um, especially but, with but, Sanders on this build TJ right because if that goes yeah. wrong you might need the salary exactly. to, to do things yeah. uh, the rest yeah. of the way so yeah. yeah that's exactly right and most people aren't going to build this way but you're building as the slate goes on Awesome show today. Thanks again to Rich, Jake, and TJ. It's going to be an awesome wildcard slate in DFS. Best of luck to everyone out there, and I'll see you soon. <laughs>